Hey, this is Mark Kiskowitz, Editor-at-Large for MMM, and welcome to this MMM Post-Transform podcast. I'm sure not all of our listeners were able to attend the Spring Conference back in April, but when we launched MMM Transform several years ago, we envisioned the event as a way to showcase and facilitate Biopharma's digital transformation. This year's event came at a critical juncture as the industry seeks to capitalize on the digital gains made the last few years and position itself for the post-pandemic era. Taking place at the Edison Ballroom in NYC, the day was chock full of trends, insights, and case studies from leaders throughout the biopharma marketing ecosystem. At the conference, Eric Peacock, co-founder and CEO of My Health Team, spoke about this topic of helping patients see around corners, why you do that, how you do it, how it affects patients, what it means for them and for advertisers, as well as how you leverage social communities to be able to do this better. Uh, and Eric is here today, and over the next 25 minutes or so, we're going to build on those themes. Eric, welcome to the MMN Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Great to speak with you again. We've spoken a number of times over the years, and I uh, always find it really fascinating to, you know, tap your insights into various patient communities that you observe and help on my health team. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah, likewise. Always enjoy chatting with you. Thank you. So let's just start the conversation by focusing on my health team itself. You know, for those in our audience who may not be familiar with the company, can you give them a, like a 30 second overview? Yeah, sure. My health team creates social networks for people with chronic diseases. We've launched social networks now in 50 different conditions. That could An example could be like my MS team, which is for people with multiple sclerosis, or my BC team for women with breast cancer, my leukemia team, and so on and so forth. That's the model. You put the disease name in between my and team and kind of guess how we, we came up with the name. Our mission is very simple, and it's been the same one for the 11 years we've been in business. We want to make it easy for people who are facing one of these conditions to find the right people, support, and medically approved information they need to best manage their condition. It's an alternative to Dr. Google, and it's in a safe, monitored environment where you can talk to other patients without fear of your information being used outside the platform or anything like that. And we now have about 18 million different patients visiting our platform every year. It's the largest set of social networks in this space uh, in the world. And what's striking to us is just when you see all these conversations of people with the same condition, you start to see the questions that aren't getting answered for them in the normal path of the healthcare system. And it gives us a good opportunity to figure out how else to help them, what's coming next, help them figure out how to navigate the system and just put themselves in the best situation they can be in given where they are in their journey with the disease. Thank you for that overview. And I remember in one of our previous talks, you know, you talked about how, you know, some of the most popular resources that you provide for your patient groups is when you connect them with like an ask me anything type of a session with a specialist and one of the concrete ways that you help patients see around corners, so to speak. But can you provide some other concrete instances of where you're helping a patient with a specific disease see around corners and how you do that? You're right. We probably have about 75 physicians now active on our platform, just sharing patient education. They're not giving you, Mark, personalized medical advice, but they're addressing topics, educating people about their condition, providing safe, good medical information. Step back a second. Why are we even thinking about this concept of seeing around corners? So we've been conducting research for the last 10 years with our members, and Short of give me a cure for my disease, 
the number one thing our members ask for across all these different conditions is tell me what is coming next and what can I do to best prepare for it? I'll give you a specific example. A woman is diagnosed with breast cancer. This is the example I shared initially at the conference. You know, she's a younger woman. She's diagnosed with breast cancer. She starts getting this kind of fire hose of information, first from the oncologist, then from the breast cancer nurse navigator, who kind of like explains over the next year, you'll go through this surgery and this chemotherapy. And, you know, it's just a lot to take in, right? They're probably kind of fuzzy when they're going through that initial meeting, but then they kind of come home and they're like, okay, what do I do? How do I prepare? What is next? And what's fascinating is, let's say this woman, first thing she gets back is this thing called a pathology report. She's like, well, what's that? How do I read this? What does that mean? And it says she's HER2 positive. So right away, you know, she's going to go on a drug, probably Fezgo. It's a targeted therapy. She's probably going to go through chemo. And her doctor will probably provide a lot of information about what that is going to be like. But seeing around corners, just right then, just think about what we already know about this woman. She's a younger woman. Maybe she's thinking about having kids. So one of the things we might remind her of before she starts chemo is fertility preservation. So this is something you should think about and act on right now, you know, because you're probably going to start a new treatment in a couple of weeks. Again, before you start chemo, you might have learned all the stuff about the different drugs you're going to be taking and what that's going to be doing from a side effect standpoint, like nausea and all that kind of stuff. But did you know you can buy this little rubberized cap that you stick in the freezer and then you put it on while you're going through chemo and it preserves the hair follicles so you lose less hair while you're going through chemo? These are different things that doctor's office might know to tell you about or might not, but a whole lot of other patients, a whole lot of other women who've been through that journey certainly talk about and know. So we're not only providing the medical information that the oncologist might share, but like kind of the practical tips and things like that, that you need to know at the right time in that journey. Does that give you an example of seeing around a corner? Yes, it does. So it's really highly relevant to the disease state, obviously. It's things that patients might not ever hear from some of the other stakeholders that they may come across. But at the end of the day, it's, it's very helpful to them. And it has their best interests at heart. And, and like you say, it's sort of timed and keyed to where they are in the disease journey, what might be helpful to them based on your aggregated knowledge, you know, from doing this for years and kind of serving those patient communities. That's right. Yeah, we kind of think about it like if your brother or your father or your sister or whatever, your wife, the medical expert in that topic, what would they be telling you? Like, I know how to work this system and how to get it. We're trying as much as possible to provide that holistic approach to this. You've just got the scale of hundreds of thousands of patients who've already gone through it, tons of medical experts who can provide that information, and a little bit of machine learning and AI to make sure you're personalizing that experience. It can really go a long way to help people through that journey. They have peer-to-peer education in the healthcare professional realm. Here, it's patient-to-patient. Patients really trust one another. We know that from other data. I've heard of first-party data. You refer to this as zero-party data, right? Yeah. And how is that utilized at my health team? So zero-party data is really simple. The way you define zero-party data is it's information that a customer intentionally and explicitly gives you. A person signs up on my Crohn's and colitis team, and they share that they're a 34-year-old male who was diagnosed two years ago who has ileitis and he's been on Stellara or whatever. That's zero party data because it's about them and they're sharing it on the platform. And the reason they're sharing that with us is 
they're expecting us to use it to deliver them relevant information, you know, the medically approved information, but also relevant introductions to other people who are going through the same thing as them. That's very different from first party data, which we all have. First party data is just how do people use your website, that sort of thing. Where are they coming from? That's kind of greens fees. You need that. But the reason zero party data is so important is you have to know something about that user, that person who also happens to be a patient in order to figure out where they are in their journey. And the reason you need to know where they are on their journey is because that's how you tell them what to expect next. If you step back for a second, this is probably an example that most people would get is pregnancy. There have been multiple apps developed over the last two decades. You know, they started with books like What to Expect When Expecting that say, put in your due date. And based off your due date, every day you're going to get a little email or something on your app that's going to say, here's how big your baby is today. Here's how they're developing. Here's what you know you should be eating and the, probably your next doctor. It's the perfect example of here's what to expect next. The difference is pregnancy is certainly not a disease. It is not chronic. And very few journeys in healthcare are linear and exactly nine months. <laughs> so that one's pretty easy to do. When you try to apply it to something like Crohn's disease, though, you and I could both be diagnosed on the very same day with the very same diagnosis and you may kind of be in remission for five years, and I may be having a real bad relapse and progressing really quickly. So what's relevant to you is different than what's relevant to me. You may have gone through only one drug, and I've tried everything there is, and I've gone through them all. I've developed the antibodies to Humira, and so what's next for me? That's why having that zero-party data is so important. It's like, uh, you know, you would suppress certain things that you might give to somebody else that's just not relevant for that person. That's right. You know, when somebody's just diagnosed with one of these conditions, they are absolutely drinking from a fire hose. They want to see everything. They want to learn everything about the disease, all the different treatments, what to expect, all that kind of stuff. As opposed to somebody who maybe finds one of our social networks after they've been diagnosed 10 years, like there's some information. No, I got that. <laughs> like, I know all about that. What I need to know is mm -hmm. what's different as I age? What other things do I need to think about in terms of comorbidities? If I turn 65, what happens when I hit in the Medicare age? You know, like there's a lot of different things that happen at different life stages, regardless of your condition too. So again, the zero party data really comes in handy there. I'd like to say this was like the master plan all along that we had when we started my health team 11 years ago. Really what happened is we, we figured out our unfair advantage was we not only have all this zero party data, our members sharing information, but we see the questions they're asking that aren't being addressed. And based off putting the two together, whenever we've given them any kind of personalized information back or personalized introductions back, it's been really useful to them. They've thanked us and said, we'd like more of that. So now it's this idea of if you're a marketer, you either have to build your own zero-party data or you have to partner with people like us or others who have zero-party data so that you can be at the right place at the right time with that right message. Does the advice that you give ever differ by race, ethnicity, or gender? Absolutely. I'll give you a few examples. This is a little more of a troubling example, but one I gave at the Transform conference. If you are Black and you show up in the emergency room, most emergency rooms in America presenting with symptoms of Crohn's disease, you're 91% less likely than if you're white 
to receive a diagnostic workup. In other words, they're going to send you home. And that is bad. That marks some of the systemic racism that's happening in the healthcare system. But if you just think about a delayed diagnosis of Crohn's disease, when those in like inflammatory bowel disease goes too long undiagnosed, it can do irreparable damage to the bowel and the gut. They can go beyond what any therapy can fix. And suddenly you have to have like surgery. So it's really dangerous when people don't get diagnosed quickly and don't start getting treated quickly. Just one of many different access problems that, that happen here. We actually saw conversations about that. We've seen the research on it. So what we did is we built content sections on my Crohn's and colitis team that talk about how to think about race and Crohn's disease, race and ulcerative colitis, and what you do if you're experiencing any of this. There's a few basic tips that we can give. And the key one is ask for a referral to a specialist, number one. And that specialist is called a gastroenterologist. There's just some basic tips and education you can give that are going to be very relevant to some over others. We've seen in several different conditions, Latinos having less access to patient assistance. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's that they're just not hearing about it or finding out about it. And part of it is just providing that content in the right language and explaining how it works. Those are kind of two different examples uh, that I could think about in terms of race. In terms of gender, one of the number one questions women with psoriasis or rheumatoid arthritis have is, what if I want to become pregnant? Can I still take my meds? When is it safe to do so? Like, so being able to provide objective, unbiased information about that for them is really important so that they can actually take care of themselves and be healthy while they're actually pregnant. But what would you say is the breakdown between like the kind of clinical information versus kind of how to navigate the system? It's a great question. I feel like it's at least 50-50. There's the what and the how. <laughs> the what is, you know, what you're told is going to happen to you, more or less. In some conditions, like breast cancer, there's often shared decision-making where you're talking with a doctor about what you're trying to accomplish, what your outcomes are. Or in chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, like what's the most important thing to you? Oftentimes, it's I want to be able to dance at my grandson's wedding in three months. Like, okay, well, we can work with that, right? So the what is, okay, here's the regimen you're going to go through, the treatment, which treatment and how and what we're expecting from you in terms of lifestyle changes. The how sometimes, though, is how do I get my insurance company to pay for it? I have vitiligo and I'm a member of my vitiligo team. And last year, the first drug to be approved for vitiligo, it's called Obsolura. You know, a lot of people are like totally psyched because they've gone their whole lives like me with no real treatment. And then they kind of run into the insurance hurdles, like, okay, it got denied. Well, what do you need to do? Well, here's the appeal process. You go through the appeal process, your insurance covers it, but the copay is still a few hundred bucks. They don't know anything about the financial assistance. So like you can kind of explain a lot of the hows, if you will, of making sure you get on the therapies and stay on the therapies that are useful to you. But there's, when there's all sorts of forces often preventing you from doing that. So I think that's pretty important. Some of the other hows the non quote medical stuff is often like, how do I explain this to my coworkers? Do I need to bring it up with my boss? If I'm dating and I have hydrogenitis superativa, how do I do that? There's some very practical stuff as well. And I think the key lesson learned over the past 10 years, if you're on a therapy, many things impact the 
quality or the outcome that you're going to have, not just that therapy, your state of mind, your quality of life, all of these factors really matter quite a bit. And so you have to address them. Sexual function, bowel, bladder, mood, all of that stuff, the social emotional aspects of this needs to be in a good place for you to have a good outcome on that drug. Thank you for sharing those examples. Um, I wanted to circle back to the point you made about brands. And if I'm a pharma brand manager, I'm, I'm advertising against this kind of content. Talk about some of the considerations, you know, what I should be thinking about. Yeah, I think the days of trying to do segmented or broad marketing are quickly going behind us, which is great. And it should be getting down to very personalized advertising. This is where the zero party data comes in handy. There's three ways advertisers, I think, can start thinking about advertising now. One is patient diagnosis targeting. Since we know the specific diagnoses and phenotypic information of our members, that zero-party data, we can get super targeted and relevant and say, all right, so if your drug is for mild to severe Crohn's, let's target to that diagnosis and not to the ulcerative colitis folks or you know, a certain phase or stage of a disease It's at a time when Facebook and other properties are actually limiting pharma advertisers' abilities to use health information to target. I think they're doing that for the right reasons, because those are not health websites and people don't expect their health information to be shared. The way we think about it is we're not sharing our members' health information. You're advertising on our site. We're not not selling that information. We're just using it. We almost insist that you target because we want our ads to be relevant to our members. I think the second piece is something people are more familiar with, which is contextual targeting. So based off of a certain topic, um, and this is where zero party data helps to understand where people are in the journey. So if what you're talking about is a third line drug for people who have been at this for a few years and they're experiencing breakthrough symptoms, Being able to target that patient in that journey, knowing where they are, when they were diagnosed, what other symptoms they've been having, what therapies they've been on, you can write articles and content about that topic and then advertise around that. So that's patient diagnosis targeting, content targeting next to it. Then I think the third piece is we're completely changing the game with zero-party data on how you do programmatic or audience extension, right? So all this information we have of 18 million patients visiting our social networks, we can use that information, again, in a completely privacy-compliant way to build models, look-alike models, and go out and find people wherever they are on the web and be able to finally deliver what we think of as niche at scale. You can reach these needles in the haystack at a very cost-effective price. This is a good thing for patients, as long as you absolutely treat that zero-party data as sacrosanct privacy, right? You have to guard it with your lives and take that very responsibly. And so that's how we think about it. We would never sell that information. We can use it though, to get the right messages to the right people. What are some other examples uh, that that you'd like to talk about today where where we see this uh, helping patients see around corners? I think one of the questions I got at the, the conference was, this is great, but how do you do this at scale? Like, how do you think about the journey? Because isn't the journey different for every condition? This way of thinking about a journey is different from pregnancy. It's not a straight line. It's not linear. It's not the same for everybody. It's one that takes turns and goes backwards and forwards and different directions and 
Here's a basic way to think about it that I believe works for almost all autoimmune conditions and all cancers. Think about four basic quadrants. This is where patients are in a journey at any given point. First is I'm having some symptoms, pre-diagnosis time. Something's going on here that is not right. It's impacting me in some way. Maybe I'm having blurry vision. You're just about to embark on the many, many tests you'll go through before getting a proper diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. The upper left corner of these four quadrants you might be in. And oftentimes you, you have a lot of different symptoms. And then you get into the second phase, which I would call the diagnosis phase. This is where, again, you're probably going to get tested for a whole bunch of really simple, easier things first. Could it be migraines? Could it be sleep problems? Is it, you know, that sort of stuff. And then finally they go, oh, yeah, no, we think this is something more. If you're having this blurry vision, you're really fatigued, we're going to do an MRI and we're going to check for something and they find out it's MS and they give you a diagnosis of, say, relapsing or admitting MS. You've got this diagnosis. All of a sudden, years and years of symptoms and testing is explained. You're like, okay, now what do I do? And at this stage, if it's an autoimmune condition like MS or like psoriasis or RA or Crohn's or anything like that, it's all about helping manage the flare you're in. It's giving you some kind of treatment to get you out of flare and into some kind of remission. And if it's cancer, it's how do we get you cancer free, right? And so there, they're going to walk through all the different treatment options that are going to come your way and things that you're going to need to know. In the case of MS, for example, Mark, I can't tell you how many MS patients have shared. I just got diagnosed. I had this long meeting with my neurologist. And he gave me three pamphlets of different drugs I could take first and said, hey, the side effects are pretty serious. Go home and talk to your family about this. And on the one hand, I view that as an admirable thing that that doctor's doing, saying engaging the patient. But a lot of times they're like, isn't there somebody more qualified? So right at that moment, when you know a patient's making that decision, to be able to talk to them about the different types of trade-offs on that is really important. So that's that third box. And then hopefully whatever they go on works. It works for a while and it sticks them into that fourth quadrant, which is either remission or relapse or something good, right? And at that point, a lot of the mindset shifts to, okay, this is my new normal. I've got this little ticking time bomb that I live with, but I'm, I kind of got it in, under control. My main goal in life now is to avoid jumping right back up to that first quadrant, which is I'm experiencing more symptoms. We find that patients cycle through these four boxes a lot and hopefully for a full life. But figuring out where they are, how many times they've gone around, that's kind of how we're thinking about it, using zero-party data, seeing what content they're landing on, seeing what questions they're asking to try to continually figure out, great, this is probably what the next six months is going to look like for them, and we're going to try to feed them that information and then learn from it, not just how they're sharing, but like what they're actually clicking on and using. You've talked about the importance of the zero-party data in personalizing and making the content that you offer to, to patients as relevant as possible. Talk about why a social network is important. Yeah. The only reason I know that we need to be doing this is because I see our members asking for it and trying to use our platform to do it You know, every day. When we started out, we didn't provide that much information, medical information. It was really about connecting them. And they had all sorts of questions that other patients couldn't really answer. They needed more medical information. They needed it personalized. 
I never use the phrase patient centricity because it just, you know, makes me like vomit in my own mouth. It's like, <laughs> Is that a group on uh, my health team? <laughs> if you really want to have your business based off of what is coming from patients, then you need to revolve around actual people diagnosed with the disease. We've found over the years that what a KOL says is important in terms of patient priorities and what a patient says is important, you know, there's a big gap that one thinks is important and the other doesn't. So you really need to hear from patients directly. And I think our unfair advantage with having a social network is you see all the conversations they're having and you have the opportunity to go back and address those and ask more questions. And every time you provide content, they ask more questions. You're like, oh, I didn't quite have it. <laughs> okay, I need to go back to this, right? Uh, we've talked about in the past what, a, what an eye-opener the pandemic was for us because none of our members, didn't matter what the social network was, they did not care what the CDC had to say about getting vaccinated. They're like, do they know I'm on a, you know, immune suppressing therapy? They, they know I have, you know, hydrogenitis or whatever it is. Like they wanted to hear from an expert who understood them. That's why a social network is important is because you get hundreds of thousands of people with your condition talking. You know what is the right questions or gaps in education to help them along that journey and you have the information to know where they are on the journey in the first place. Interesting. You said it's kind of an unfair advantage you know, to have that patient level data that you can tap, continually work that feedback loop, personalizing the information, asking them questions. They ask more questions. You provide more information. It uh, continues to, to help the community, which is at the end of the day, it's, it's, as I'm sure you would agree, it's what it's all about. Absolutely. I mean, like when I co-founded this business over a decade ago, the whole idea was we can do something good and do well at the same time. We can prove this concept of social entrepreneurism works. And there's just no better place to do it than healthcare. There's so many opportunities, whether you work with a, a My Health team or somebody else, like you can do this in your organization. There are ways to figure out where patients are on the journey holistically about what you want to offer them. It's not just the treatment. What are all the things that you can provide them? And when you create that content, when you bring those answers that they've got questions to, you build authentic connections with them. And that I think is the most important thing. Those are the players over the next five or 10 years who are going to win. It's the people who prove you can trust them to patients by getting you, by answering all of your questions as, as best they can. My health team is, is a company that's providing a ton of good. And uh, I think that's a great note to end on. Big thank you to you, Eric, for a great podcast. Thank you, Mark. Such a pleasure. I always, always enjoy talking to you. Absolutely. Likewise, uh, we hope all of you out there enjoyed this post-transform podcast. If you'd like more information on seeing around corners, be sure to visit myhealthteam.com. This is Mark Yisquitz for MMM. We'll see you next time.